0: Guys, ever gone to the grocery store? You know, you, you've got a list, you've got your priority of things that you're supposed to pick up. Sorry. And uh, you get there and you're struck by all the other good things that there would be to be had in the grocery store chocolate chips, ice cream, peanut butter, coffee. That'd be some of my favorites. And sorry, <laughs> we'll get this yet. Uh, you go for one thing and you forget it because you, you get distracted by other good things, but maybe not what you'd come for. Or maybe, I think I'm good, Sean. Yeah. We spare no expense on these music stands. So, uh, Or if <clears throat> you go to the mall, you go to the, one of the record stores or the movie stores, you go in with one title in mind, and you know, it's overwhelming. If you go into those stores, there's so many options that you can easily forget. What you went in for. And the truth is, we live in a world in the West, and I'm thinking basically the materially wealthy West, where we have so many options. We have so many potential distractions that it's easy to forget what the priorities in life are or the things we really do value most or the things we really should value most because they get lost in the good but the lesser things. And you know, that often happens around Christmas as well. We're going to be in a text this morning that I confess is not a typical Christmas season text. It's Luke 9. It's the story of the transfiguration on the mountain. But as I was reading through Luke recently, I thought the main point of the passage was one that particularly applies during the Christmas season. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 9. We'll be in verses 27 through 37. Before we start there, just to give context, Jesus has just told the disciples that He's going to be rejected by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified, but He'll rise from the dead. And sort of in that context, or with that backdrop, He tells them not to be ashamed of Him or His words, because after these things happen, He's going to return to the earth. He's going to set up His kingdom. So in light of his coming, don't be ashamed of him now because there will be a day when you'll see him in glory. The king of kings will return and live with that in view. So with that in view, at verse 27, he said, But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That is his return, the kingdom of God that he just talked to them about. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, by the way, in Greek, this is Exodus, so Moses is talking to Jesus about Jesus' Exodus, the man of the Old Testament Exodus which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, tents or huts, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, A cloud formed and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Well, first, just the story, just the elements of the story. Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus onto the mountain. He's going to pray, and while there, he is transformed before them. And he takes on the appearance, I assume, that if you saw him in heaven today, that's what they saw on this mountain. And in the scriptures, whether you look at Old or New Testaments, you'll see that oftentimes a king and a kingdom are used interchangeably, so that if you see the king, you've seen the kingdom. Or if you talk about the kingdom, you're also talking about the king. And I think that's the thing here. When Peter, James, and John see Jesus transformed before them, that's what he had mentioned in verse 27. They have seen the kingdom of God on earth because they've seen Jesus in his glory. As he's transformed before them, also Moses and Elijah are there with them. And they also apparently have this glorious appearance as well. I'm thinking Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, that makes sense, and and they see this transformation where they see him as he'll be in the future, and I get that too. Then I'm wondering, what are Moses and Elijah doing there with him? Why are two guys from the past here with him on this mountain? What's the significance of their presence? And to my question, this is my take on it. This is the deal. Moses and Elijah stand with Jesus on the mountain because they are representatives of the law and the prophets. Moses with the law and Elijah with the prophets. And in the day Jesus lived, if you were a Jew and you talked about the Bible, uh, their Bible is our Old Testament, it had three major divisions, and that would be the law, that's the first five books, Moses is the primary human author of. The prophets... And the writings. So you might say something like the law, the prophets, and the writings. Or you could shorten it and you could say the law and the prophets. And that meant the same thing. It meant your Bible, the, our Old Testament, the Jewish Bible of the day. Or sometimes you'd say the law and context sort of determined what, which the meaning was. But here, I think what you see are representatives of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. Moses, who was the primary author of the first five books of the Bible... And then Elijah, who was out of the prophetic books as well. So, two guys who represent the law and the prophets are standing with Jesus on the mountain talking about his exodus. If you remember, in other of the gospel contexts, Jesus said, you know, he's changing the way some Jews are thinking about the law. They're wondering what their relationship is to the law. And they're wondering, is Jesus doing away with the law? And he says that he's not, that he'd actually come to fulfill the law. That he is in himself the fulfillment of the law and that he in his person is going to fulfill all the primary elements of the law. In Luke 24, after the resurrection, when two of Jesus' disciples are leaving Jerusalem and they're confused, they've heard about a resurrection, they knew Jesus had been crucified, they're not sure what to make of all this, Jesus joins them on the road And he says in Luke 24, "...beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the Scriptures." Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. In other words, Jesus does this kind of brief Old Testament survey in which he shows from Moses and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, that he was the fulfillment of those prophetic elements that Jesus was written about in all those passages that they may not have recognized him in before. Or if you read in John 5, Jesus is talking about uh, talking to the Jewish leaders and he says this in verse 39, you search the scriptures, this would be our Old Testament, their Bible, because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is these that testify of me. Jesus said, you know your Bible, but you don't recognize me. If you really believe the writings of the Old Testament, that is the law and the prophets, you'd believe me. He says later in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. He says, if you believed Moses, verse 46, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. One of the key things Moses wrote, by the way, out of Deuteronomy 18, Moses told the Jews when he was still alive, that one day God would send a prophet like him. And that when that prophet came, the nation was to listen to him. The words out of the cloud on this mountain in Peter's day are the same words Moses said about the prophet. When he comes, listen to him. And when Jesus is on this mountain with Peter, James, and John, the voice out of the cloud says the same thing Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18. Listen to him. Listen to him. So also think of this. Moses had written about all the sacrifices. You know, if you read Leviticus, a book most people don't like to read, talks about all the offerings, you know, all the things that they would offer, how they would offer, when, etc. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those shadowy offerings. You know, the sacrifices that were made, the book of Hebrews said, that could never take away sin. Jesus becomes the one key or great sacrifice that leaves them all behind because he fulfills them. He is the great sacrifice sacrifice. So Moses had written about Jesus and Moses stands here on the mountain with him talking about the things that had been written and also the things that were yet to come. So the promises of God, the revelation God had given to those past generations are represented with Jesus on this mountain in the in two key figures in Moses and Elijah and their conversation had to do with Jesus fulfilling the rest of the things written about him in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets. Here specifically, his death and resurrection. Now, <clears throat> this is kind of a glorious thing. They've walked up a mountaintop and they see this miraculous, glorious appearance before them. And what do Peter, James, and John do here? It says they were overcome with sleep. They were overcome with sleep. You know later, on the night of the Last Supper, when they go to the garden and Jesus says, hey, stay up and pray with me. And you know, they're overcome with sleep there too, aren't they? They're, it's late at night. They've had a full meal. Remember, they've eaten the Passover together. They're just tired. It's the end of the day. It's into the night, and they fall asleep. I don't think that's what's going on here. If you read other passages, I'm thinking specifically of Daniel 10, where a human meets a figure from heaven, often the response is what happens to them here. They sort of just fall apart they faint or they fall down. So if you read the passage in Daniel 10, when Daniel sees an angel that's come to talk to him from heaven, Daniel ends up like a dog on the ground on all fours and he apologizes to the angel. He says, all my strength has left me. And the angel has to touch him and give him strength again because he is physically so overwhelmed by the glory from this creature that's just come from heaven. And I think that's what's happened here. These guys are physically overwhelmed. They fainted, as it were, because their physical bodies, their senses and emotions are overwhelmed by the glory, the heavenly glory they see before them in Christ and perhaps also in Moses and Elijah. So they faint, they're overcome, and they sort of regain consciousness, maybe a little sleepy, and they see Moses and Elijah and somehow they know who these guys are. I don't know how this is, By the way, I think in heaven, when you see people, I think you'll know who they are, just like this. Like if you, we didn't grow up with Moses, say, but I think when you see Moses, you'll know that's Moses. And I think when you see Noah, you'll know that's Noah. And we'll recognize each other, of course, but I think we'll have the kind of knowledge. We'll know who those other people are. Peter and company, for whatever reason, they knew who these two guys are. And they see that they're leaving. And so Peter talks, you know, before he's really thinking you know, like he does often, and as many of us do as well. He's talking before he's really thinking, and he says, Lord, this is great. This is awesome. This is cool. And really, we want this to last as long as it can last. So, we'd like to build you some huts, some little places that would compel these guys to stick around, and we'll we'll hang out with them, and we'll have some good stories to tell the rest of the guys. Sort of, we'll honor Moses and Elijah along with you. In a sense, I think, Peter, without trying to, he's elevating Moses and Elijah up to Jesus' level. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with Moses, and there's nothing wrong with Elijah. There's no problem whatever with them at this point, or with them being here. And also think of this, if I don't know what the equivalent for us would be. If you saw two people that you knew from the past, that you knew were dead for a long time, uh, what would you respond? this is kind of the christmas carol type of thing you know where jacob marley shows up you you would be aghast you would wonder what in the world is going on there would be this initial sense of unbelief incredulity that someone from the past is risen from the dead and is standing physically in front of you there'd be a lot to take in a lot to think about but also for these guys knowing who these two guys are uh, these are their heroes Right? Because Moses and Elijah, these would be guys that they'd been hearing about, reading about, thinking about from childhood. I don't know what equivalents for us would be, if it, this would be like Martin Luther standing in front of you, you know, out of the blue or what. But these were both guys that they knew had lived and died a long time ago, on one hand, and they were also their heroes, and suddenly they're standing before them. So the sense that they want them to stick around, I get. The sense that they want to make this last as long as they can, I get. But when Peter makes this suggestion, what happens? It says a cloud comes in and overshadows them. And by the way, this isn't a natural cloud, I take it. You know, oftentimes God's glory or His presence in the Old or New Testament is seen as a cloud. And I understand that this is kind of the presence of God the Father coming in on top of the mountain in the appearance of a cloud. A cloud comes in. And the voice says out of the cloud, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So Peter says, hey, I'd like to make some places for you guys to hang out with us for a while. And the response is, the voice from the cloud says, this is my son. Listen to him. And I think this is what Pete's doing, what we all do in very numerous ways. Pete's mistaking the good for the best. He is overestimating the value of Moses and Elijah in comparison to Jesus. Pete sees Moses and Elijah in some sense here as equals. He doesn't see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies and the scriptures that they were a part of, or they lived, or they wrote. He doesn't see at this point that Jesus is transcendent over everybody who came before him. They don't see that everyone and everything that came before Jesus fades in his light, fades to black behind his glory and his light. They're overwhelmed with Moses and Elijah when the single person they should be overwhelmed with in this context is Jesus. So the voice speaks, and when they look again, what do they see? Jesus alone. The voice speaks, this is my son, listen to him, and when they open their eyes again, it's Jesus alone. They would be overwhelmed and we understand that, but some of this gets down to they simply didn't know or they didn't recognize or they didn't value or appreciate who it really was who was with them and had been with them all along. They're standing on the mountain amazed at their childhood heroes when the Master and the Creator of the universe has been living with them and eating with them and drinking with them every day. Or they're marveling at the presence of Moses, for instance, when the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush and the God of the miracles of the Exodus and Christ, who we understand was the cloud by day in the Exodus and was the pillar a fire by night and was the water that came from the rock, that he is with them in their presence and they've been living with him all along. Or Elijah, uh, probably best remembered because he called fire down from heaven, you remember, on another mountain, on Mount Carmel. And yet the God who sent the fire down and later consoles them is the one in their midst that has been in their midst, the Lord Jesus himself. I just think they're mistaking the good for the best at sort of a, a quantum level. Uh, almost every night if it's clear out uh, or in the mornings uh, before sunrise, I go out and just take a quick peek at the skies because I love looking at the stars. And if you've looked recently, just in the last few days, the moon's been full and it's been huge. It's just been glorious. The stars are glorious. The moon is glorious. Uh, and they testify to God. You know, if you read Romans 1 or if you read Psalm 19, the creation itself testifies to God and His goodness. But, you know, the moon's just kind of a... It's a ball of dust and rock, isn't it? If, if the sun wasn't shining on the moon, what would you see? You wouldn't see anything. It's just a, a ball of rock. And the stars are glorious, but, you know, those distant stars and planets you see at night, they can't give life to the earth. The stars are great, the moon's great, but none of them give life. It's the sun that gives life. And you know, when the sun rises in the morning, what happens to all those things that are very visible at night? They disappear, right? Because the light of the sun overwhelms everything that came before it at night. And as much as the stars and the moon are glorious, and they are, they can't compete with the light of the sun. It It pushes everything else away in the sky. There's only one thing visible in the daytime, and it's the sun. Its glory overwhelms everything else around it in the sky. And that's something along the same line with Christ and everyone and everything that comes before him. His glory, who he is, what he is, overwhelms or should, for us, overwhelm everyone and everything else that comes before or follows after. Imagine if you're a student and you travel to another country to go to college or if you are a business person and you're required to live in another country for a while. uh, You're gone a long distance from home, from family or friends, and so to communicate, you send letters back and forth. And maybe you send pictures or postcards too. And one day, somebody knocks on your door in that foreign country and it's your family, it's your wife or your husband or your friends from way back home. When they show up at your doorstep, your door, do you run and grab the pictures and the letters and the postcards and hug them to your chest? Or do you drop the letters and the pictures and the postcard and embrace the person you've longed to see because there they are in flesh. The person you're really after, there they are. So you forget those things that came before. They don't hold value anymore because their value was tied, the letters and the pictures, to the person. You don't care so much about those letters. They still hold value. The pictures are still fine in and of themselves. No problem with them at all. But it's the person you're after. It's the family or the friends or the spouse that you're after. I think often we hold on to shadows and lesser things, good things, things that are good and fine in themselves, but we hold on to the lesser at Christmas and at other times when it's Christ that God the Father means us to get. And you know, at Christmas time, probably all of us get caught up in it. It's a great time of year. It's a great time of year. But Christ sort of gets squeezed in with everything else. Do you know, uh, uh, find things, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, winter holidays, uh, call it anything you want. Christ just becomes one of many options at this time of year. And on one hand he gets squeezed in with everything else, on the other hand, he gets squeezed out by everything else. And it, you know, at the end of the day, most of that stuff's just fine. Gift giving, gift receiving, good meals. I mean, it all sounds good to me. But in the midst of all the good stuff, do we lose sight of the best? In other words, are we making huts for Moses and Elijah? When Christ is standing before us, in a sense, ignored. Who do we value? Do we see Christ as the Son whose glory includes everything else that comes before Him? Or do we see Him as one other option among many? This Christmas, just think about this. Just reflect for yourselves. What idols have we placed on the shelf, so to speak, next to Jesus? It's Jesus and. Or it's other things and I also need to nod or give some some cursory time or attention to Christ as well. Or what good things, what good things are we elevating to equal status with Christ the Son? Who are we listening to along with Jesus? Or when the disciples open their eyes again, it's Jesus alone. For us, when we open our eyes, who or what are we seeing? Jesus and what else is taking his place? Um, what idea this Christmas, all of us have traditions and things we probably like to do or accomplish this time of year, what idea, practice, or desire do we need to let go of or minimize so that we can do what God said to the disciples to listen to Him or to see Him, see Christ alone? When when Peter, James, and John, when they regain their senses and the cloud passes, all they see is is Christ, because in the end, that's all the Father wanted them to see. And for you and I, ultimately, that's the only person, it's the only thing it's, that matters. It's Christ. So this Christmas, just let me encourage you, admonish you, exhort you to do this. Uh, make it your aim to see, to hear Christ Christ. And then encourage others to do the same. I don't know what that would look like. Maybe read the Christmas story before Christmas meal. Maybe pray before you give out gifts. Maybe give thanks before you do the same thing. I don't know what this would look like. This would be a little different for all of us. But ask yourselves, this Christmas, what can I do to see Christ alone, to hear Christ? Let me close with this. When um, Moses was alive... And on the earth, he went up to another mountaintop and God came down and met him. He met with God on another mountaintop in his lifetime. You remember this? During the Exodus at Mount Sinai. And there's thunder and there's lightning and there's this trumpet blast that's so loud the earth shakes. And there's Moses up there on the mountain with God. And God speaks and, and Moses records his words. But you know... Sort of as overwhelming and as glorious as that was, do you know what Moses really wanted? Do you remember what he asked God for? He asked God for one thing in this context. He said, sort of, this is all great, it's all grand, it's all glorious, but Lord, there's one thing I want. I want to see your face. I want to see you. Not the thunder, not the lightning, not the trumpet blast, which was all overwhelming and and in its own way was glorious. But Moses says there's only one thing that I really want out of all this. I want to see you. And so God says, this is out of Exodus 33, stand there on the rock and my glory will pass by and I'll put you in a cleft. I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back. Moses, you'll see me, but you'll see my back, my face you shall not see. All Moses wants out of this deal is he wants to see God. And God says, well, I can accommodate you so far. I'll let you see me, but you won't see my face. You'll only see my back. Well, the truth is for us today, we see, as it were, the face of God in the person of Jesus. We see on the earth what Moses wanted to see, even though he was with God on the mountain. He wanted to see God's face. And for us today, we see the face of God In the person of Christ. Now, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, he says to people just like you and me that weren't with him on this mountain when Jesus is transformed and didn't live or weren't around when Jesus was on the earth, he says, uh, you guys haven't seen him physically. You've not seen him, but you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Peter says to people like us today, you haven't seen Christ physically, but you've believed in him. And you have joy because you know him. For us today, we're not seeing him on the mountain. But we are seeing him when we read Moses, or we should be. Or when we read about Elijah. We should see him or we should sense his presence when we worship. And his spirit, he says, is present with us to reveal him. Or in Sunday school class, when we read Revelation... It says that the spirit of prophecy is is all about Jesus, the person of Christ. That is, when we read our Bibles, it's not to get information. It's not to figure out the future. At the end of the day, the Bible's primary value is that through it, we see God's face in the person of Christ. And when we pray, we talk to him. So spiritually, we have today what Moses wanted when God met with him on Sinai. We have that today. So this Christmas season, read your Bible. That is, that's primarily where we see him. That's how we get to know him. And encourage others to see or to hear Christ as well. This Christmas, just tell yourself in whatever ways I can, I'm going to have done or I'm going to marginalize or minimize the lesser things so that I can lay hold of, so that I can hear from, so that I can see the person of Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord, we are materially and really in every way so blessed in our lives on the earth. Uh, there's sorrow and there's challenges plenty for sure. But, Lord, your blessings and your grace have been poured out so richly that it is easy for us to get caught up in the good gifts you give us to your neglect. And, Lord, at the end of the day, we want to set letters and Postcards aside, we want to be thankful for friends like Moses or Elijah. We certainly want to be thankful for your word. But Lord, at the end of the day, it's you that we need and it's you that we want. And I pray that you do this Christmas season especially. Help us to lay aside lesser things so that we can see your son more clearly, so that we can hear his words to us so that we can come into the kind of vital relationship, Lord, that You want for us and with us. Help us to see Jesus alone. Help us to hear Him. We ask in Jesus' name, Father. Amen.